0: Welcome to Old Town New World. Uh, we're here not in Old Town Rock Hill, South Carolina, and we're not at Millstone. We are instead at, where are we again, Chris? Pine Central. We're at Pint Central in Plaza Midwood. I'm Jason Broadwater. I'm Chris Trevet. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of Old Town USA. No. We have with us a whole crew. Of course, we have with us the ever-present, off, also intimidating, but soft on the inside, cuddly, nice, warm, sweet, silent Micah. Well said, Micah. We also have with us my son Drake. Say hey, Drake. Hey. We also have with us uh, Chris Gervais of the nice shirts. Of the
1: nice shirts. I always have a nice shirt. Like you say shirt. It's really nice. Thanks. It's, really nice. it's always the same shirt, probably.
0: Probably. Speaking of shirts, before I introduce our actual guest, you know, you know I, I was going to wear my shirt that I bought at this man's store, but uh, I didn't, but Drake did. So I like your black sheep shirt, Drake. So anyway, our actual guest today is Josh Frazier. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me. Man, you're absolutely welcome. We're glad you're here. So Josh, I know Josh from back when I was Drake's age, I guess 13, 12, uh, 13, 14. That was a good year. <laughs> 1912 <laughs> oh, that was a good year um, and uh, Josh was a, a heck of a skater I'm sure he still is I'm sure you still are but I remember like when my bands practiced over at Jay Lamont's house you and the boys were outside just crazy skating I remember we used to be able to ollie over a trash can like a full-size trash can and it just blew my mind so so did you grow up in Rock Hill?
2: I did. I grew up in Rock Hill. I went to uh, went to high school at uh, Northwestern. Uh, All right. Yeah, yeah. Trojans, go Trojans. Uh (laughs) Graduated in '91, so it's been uh, been quite some time. And uh, let's see, I I graduated. I went to uh, undergrad at Clemson University. Graduated in '95, so I've been in uh, in Charlotte uh, full time since since getting out of school.
0: So why did you not um, run off to California and become a professional skateboarder?
2: Oh, that's a great question. I had a I had a lot of buddies that uh, you know were were pursuing that that dream, and uh, I don't know something inside me. You know, I, although it seemed like uh, a a fun idea, I just w- had this uh, super conservative uh, approach, and I thought, you know, I, I'm going to need to get a job one day and figure out how to pay my rent, and uh, just never thought that uh, skateboarding was always sort of uh, a passion and a. Uh, a hobby, I guess, so to speak. I never thought it would uh, be anything that I could pursue uh, professionally uh, or or make any kind of uh, livelihood from. So uh, that that uh, led me in the direction of um, you know more traditional uh, university route. You
0: know, a lot of times, man, when people try to turn their passion into dollars, it kind of rips the soul out. I know, I know. I tried to make music my uh, way to you know make money and. Um, it just made me unhappy. Like it made it made making music not be fun. So, I mean, what what is the world of skateboarding like when you try to like do sponsorships and, and make money off of it and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, I think you make a great point. I mean, uh, I guess to fast forward a little bit, I ended up after ha- uh, a few corporate jobs uh, starting a retail store. So it's a it's a skate shop called Black Sheep Skate Shop uh, here in Charlotte, and uh, so you know through sort of a long process uh, ended up you know, eventually working in a field or, or you know, working in, uh, you know, something that was my passion, which was skateboarding. Um, but, yeah, I guess the short answer is anytime that, you know, your your career, your livelihood uh, becomes part of your passion, I think it definitely uh, definitely takes a little bit of the fun out of things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm blessed, I'm fortunate to, to be doing it, but it, it does uh, sort of change change the picture a bit.
0: So we'll we'll revisit some of that you know journey to get here, but as as of where we are now, Black Sheep is I mean I guess the coolest skateboarding shop on the planet, right? Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, it's in uh, it's located in, in what people call. Plaza Midwood, is that right?
2: Plaza Midwood neighborhood, correct. Yeah, we were formerly in, in South End, but uh, re- recently displaced due to uh, development in, in that side of town. And uh, our new home is Plaza Midwood, which is kind of a, an artsy, uh, still got a good youthful energy and uh, a lot of uh, art galleries and bars and restaurants and uh, a lot of our clientele uh, live in this neighborhood. So for us, it's uh, it's been fortunate that we were able to relocate to this area.
0: So you started in South End back in 2003, right?
2: Correct, yeah, opened in uh, 2003 in South End, and that was uh, pre the big development boom. Uh, Before the light rail, things were still, uh, you know, I I like to call it sort of the wild west. You know, it was like stores were getting, you know, storefronts were getting broken into on a daily basis. Uh, It was a little transitional, you know. You had to, you know, make sure your car was locked up, cars were getting broken into. Um, So we were a little bit of a pioneer. We were kind of on the forefront of the the revitalization of that area. It was formerly... um, a lot of uh, empty uh, old factories and buildings. Uh, uh, after the light rail project uh, moved in and was extremely successful, um, the rent went up, and uh, there's a lot of those factories were either repurposed, turned into high-priced apartments and condominiums, or uh, you know, eventually we were sort of priced out uh, of that area from uh, de- you know the development buildings being torn down and things
0: like that. So, so let's so let's get right to that point, man, because. I always, on this podcast, talk about Asheville in a very loving way. I love Asheville, and I talk about how the Bohemians, to use a lack of a better word, revitalized Asheville because they would move into a district nobody would dare move into. People could take risks, open stores, uh, and then it would have this cool vibe and more and more people would hang out, but then it would that would mean it's full of people and therefore a nicer place could come in, they would upfit the buildings, rents would go up, and then all those people that started the whole thing would get essentially run out because of the rent. Now, I always talk about it in a romanticized way because like in Asheville, they kept moving and they're like the opposite of a virus. Like they move <laughs> and make the place better. You know what I mean? Like they move on and make the place. now they're down by the art district, in, uh, or they've created the art district down by the river in Asheville, and now it's the coolest place in town, but eventually they're gonna get priced out
1: write a musical about a group of bohemians that like move around a town like making everything gold and they're like like that's their mission or whatever you're like i don't know i think that would really lend itself to a musical
0: but while i romanticize things i do too (laughs) While, (laughs) while i um romanticize that because i'm not the one who got run out sure you give us the other side I mean, of that story.
2: Jason, uh, you're just some, uh, you know, old white guy. So of course you would romanticize uh, people getting kicked out of their, uh, you know, their neighborhoods that they Chris built. Sanders, we call them. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah. For for me, I think uh, just just personally, uh, again, going back to being an old white guy, you know, we started a business there. We sort of, you know, we spent a lot of time there, blood, sweat, and tears. Uh, you know, built up the business, built up our reputation, built up our clientele. Um, so for me, you know, the flip side of that is, yeah, I think, I think that process is natural. It's, 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 it's clearly a cycle. Um, and you know, there's probably nothing that can be done about it, but you know, for me, it was a little bit tough, uh, to have to relocate my business. Uh, fortunately, we, we were lucky enough to find a good home, uh, in this neighborhood, but, uh, you know, at, at my age, you know, in my mid forties, and to have a family, the I'm, I'm less uh, sort of daring now than you know than I was maybe in my late twenties or early thirties. And to uh, to have to relocate your business to an area where that's maybe crime ridden, or, or have to you know you know sort of start over from scratch uh, is, is less appealing to me. It's less romantic <laughs> of a concept, you know.
0: That's great, man. I think that's something that people need to hear. That I need to hear. You So I
2: think you know uh, you, you're 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 fortunate and you're smart that you uh, or it's my understanding that you own uh, the the property that you're in currently. So uh, by that fact, you know you you will not have to deal with anything you don't want to deal with it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know I I was. In a different financial position when I started my business. Uh, in fact, I started with unemployment checks. <laughs> if that tells you anything about uh, the, the financial uh, condition I was in. Um, but yeah, just uh, you know, I, I was renting my space, and um, you know, so I, I was at the whim of the market. But, you know, currently it's a bit of a war zone. There's a lot of construction. Uh, we've experienced some headaches with you know road closings and uh, things like that. Uh, but yeah, hopefully when the dust settles, you know
0: we'll 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 enjoy some of that. We'll benefit from, from some of that. Do uh, so you feel like it'll happen again? This whole kind of upward mobile, and then kind of you have to relocate, or uh,
2: I mean, yeah, I think uh, I mean that's that's my conclusion to that. You know, it's just it's a, it's simply a cycle, and, and it's you know essentially unavoidable unless you are able to to own your property and purchase it, which in a market like Charlotte, uh, you know you got to have a lot of money it's very competitive very tight market right now um i, I tried to purchase a property and I, I offered the asking price for it and uh you know they wouldn't even they wouldn't even come to the table and and even entertain me because they were trying to get you know some kind of bidding war going with developers so it's things are even just renting i, I looked at a ton of rental property uh before this move uh very very fortunate we found the spot we found because i mean i, I looked at things that were not very attractive and they were very very expensive
0: um you know, it would seem like a, a something that a that the public sector could consider is how to make it more possible for the people who are going to move into a spot to be able to own the spots they move into like different types of programs where the public sector could help with uh that the either the lending or the uh, the fact that you know a lot of landlords come in and buy up like all the property. And it's just like a, yeah. And it's basically like, you know, absent people that are investors that own all this stuff that aren't even, don't know anything about the community. They're not part of the community. And it could maybe keep some longevity in the community. Cause there's nothing cooler than going somewhere. Like we went to Don the Beachcomber, you know, in California and Chris's. That was little Chris's Santa Claus. That was, that was little me's Santa Claus moment. <laughs> but to, they've been there for what? The '30s, yeah. Yeah, yeah, invented most like popular tiki drinks in the yeah. '30s, and so they've been there forever and 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 not had to move or anything. So so that creates authenticity. It creates culture. It creates so it could be a good maneuver for a pub public sector to try to facilitate that kind of stuff. I,
2: I would agree with that. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's very complex. Um, you know, I'm, to your point authenticity I guess I, I, I value that quite a bit um, and that's that's a fear that I have with with the development and the growth that I've seen in South End and, and in Charlotte is uh, you know that you know we're, we're losing a l- little bit of that uh, identity you know we're losing there the South End area that I was in was uh, you know it reminds me a little bit of a, like a downtown Rock Hill with some older buildings uh, It was just on the edge of downtown Charlotte it had a lot of character you know, when we first moved in, you know, there was a lot of you know gallery crawls, and had like almost a neighborhood feel, and and now it's just you know it's all been torn down, the ground flattened, and you know, to make way for high rise, you know, office space, you know, for finance, you know, and and to me that's less compelling. Like that's, you know, before a few years ago, rewind a few years ago, you know, they were doing a lot of you know food truck rallies and food truck Fridays down there. And you would get people that were coming, you know, even from Rock Hill, you know, Fort Mill, from all over, uh, coming in there as an attraction, you know, to come and hang out and enjoy, you know, the, the, the culture and the food trucks. And, um, you know, that's just less compelling than, you know, a parking garage and office space to me, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, it's a, it's a little bit ironic. It's the kind of the crux of, like, gentrification is that development is brought to an area because of, like, the vibe there, which is, like, a, an organic thing that's happening created by people creates the value. yeah that creates people you know the, the pull to that area and, and then was, you're just getting rid of that yeah. as soon as you develop it the reason you came there the value completely goes down on what on the reason you came there and becomes this whole other thing and and I don't I don't know how you fix that other than you try to support the businesses that are already there and you, and I guess the recognition of that like the value of it isn't just the numbers like it's like the numbers are happening the, the potential for numbers is because of a thing don't, don't ignore the reason that 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 inspiration is there. Like and that's usually what happens.
0: Well, you know, man, there's a program in Rock Hill that is uh, to combat gentrification in its in its negative, nasty form, which is it's for the residential areas around downtown, and it's called Weed and Seed, and it's tied to a first first time homeowners program. And what it is is it's a initiative from everything from the police to the city to lenders and everything, as far as I understand it. Um, work with folks in the, the neighborhoods that were traditionally kind of low-end neighborhoods that are traditionally set up like this you got a landlord that's doing minimal to do anything to up these residential homes and renters that are coming in and living in like not very good conditions and they're passing through and they don't really care about the community there's a high crime rate in a lot of these areas sure. and all this stuff so the idea is for the people in those communities that want to make it a nice place. Instead of everybody being kicked out and then property values go up and you flatten it all, they have this like where you work with the community and they uh, have these government subsidized programs for first time home buying and lending and all that. And it's a residential process to make, it's a genius from a public uh, safety standpoint. Like. If you're able to support the people who want to have a safe, nice community, then you're going to have a safe, nice community. So I wonder if you could take that idea from the that's already being applied in the residential areas around urban redevelopment and apply it to the actual downtowns and to the store, to the stores that are down there. And say, hey, look, you're renting this space. Let's help you buy it so you can stay here and be part of the community. You know?
2: Yeah. No, I think that's a great idea. I mean, I think uh, you know, to your point, it has to be. Uh it has to be part of the policy, probably. It has to be uh, part of the planning. Uh, you know, communities that like Rock Hill, uh, you know, uh, have the advantage of seeing uh, what's going on uh, in other areas that are, you know, have maybe grown or traditionally grown faster. You know, so they they can benefit from that and see, you know, what the mistakes are, what the pitfalls are. Um, but yeah, that type of program sounds amazing. Um, I think you know you hear a lot of, uh, here too about just. Uh, How the zoning policies you know i'm I'm less familiar with the the ins and outs of the zoning but they're saying you know people say well you know that's that's the reason why we're dealing with some of these density problems or you know some of it is a natural evolution but you know again you know you're you're tearing down some old buildings with character to create uh very dense areas and then all of a sudden the traffic is very dense um you know so you have these other issues that are maybe um, you know, not accounted for. I guess going in,
0: Charlotte has a bad reputation for tearing things down and building something that looks like brand new. Yeah, yeah.
2: that's. I think that's. Uh, that's kind of the crux of it. You know, that's what really. This uh, is disappointing to me. Is just you know. That lack of uh, regard for you know anything, uh, you know sort of. Old or original. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's made, Charlotte, it's made Charlotte very successful. Is because it's you know it's a new city, it's a clean city, it's a growing city, but it's like uh, you know there's there's a lot of things you know to a lot of things to you know enjoy you know a lot of things to to respect from from you know what was originally there and just a lot of character I think and identity you know that, that we're getting rid of you know we we don't want to forget our history you know
0: and the 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 quirky, interesting places that you go aren't because someone to decided decided to design something in a way that you would never want to design it. Instead, they had to work with what was there and they made something awesome out of it. That unexpected success out of having to deal with these old buildings and stuff is what creates that kind of you know, identity. I
2: think, right. I think it creates energy, it creates excitement when you have something, especially like independent, uh, you know, independent restaurants, independent uh, retail, you know, it's, um, you know, it's not just another uh, frozen yogurt place and a chipotle and, you know what I mean, the same, same shit that you see everywhere all over town, you know what I mean, it's just like on every corner there's a Starbucks, you know, it's like, I want to go to the independent bookstore, I want to go to the independent coffee shop, I want to go to the, I don't want to go to Carabas. you know, I want to go to the family-owned Italian restaurant that's, you know, that's been around forever and has, you know, the killer lasagna recipe, you know what I mean, so it's like. And, like, you mentioned Asheville earlier, and it's like, you know, Asheville is an amazing place, and, you know, the only thing that's going on in Asheville is tourism, you know, and it's like, if you get rid of that character, if you get rid of those independent, you know, shops and and restaurants and bars, like, why would anybody get in a car and drive to
0: Asheville or fly to Asheville? I mean. There's a threat, man, because, like, South Asheville, the Biltmore Village, is basically like being inside South Park Mall. In Charlotte right now, I mean, when I was there, it wasn't like that at all. It was all locally owned stuff. Now it's like Saks Fifth Avenue, and you know, it's all the stuff you would see inside a inside a, a South Park mall. You know, I guess
2: somebody, somebody who's a student and who is a, 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 a property owner, uh, you know, probably will recognize the value in creating something authentic, creating something with an identity. Uh, you know, I think I think that person. Is, and there's a lot of opportunity there. Let's put let's put it that way. Instead of just like I'm gonna create a bunch of you know vanilla box apartments or uh, office space. You know.
0: So so let's turn this conversation to skateboard shops. Skateboard what? Skateboard shops.
1: Skateboard shops.
0: Yeah. So uh. So like. There's the internet. I don't know if you heard of the internet. You know, you know about the internet. Oh,
1: there it is.
0: Internet, internet.com. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Webtv.com. Chris knows what. Chris, will you go get the internet out of the car? Yeah, hold on you? a second. <laughs> so there's the internet. There's, um, there's a a van store in South Park. Correct. Um, and yet we walk into your store. There's, it's it's just viscerally cool as it can be. I mean, it's like you look around the walls full of skate decks. It's the, all the vans on the wall, the sh- different shoes, the different clothes, it's you know, there's people hanging out in there. It feels like you kinda walked into a cool place to hang out. Everybody's really nice and positive. Thank you. You're welcome. So it's a cool place, yeah. And as soon as you walk on door. it's amazing. I'm happy to hear that. So so is it what I'm describing the visceral experience of, of being of being like, whoa, this is cool and touching things Still and really old is it that, that visceral experience? I am really old, Josh. Hey, you're older now. I, I know I am. I know I am. <laughs> I'm just kidding.
2: I'm just saying. You know, uh, you know real, real life ex- visceral experience. Yeah, I don't know, man. You sound, you sound kind of old.
1: So, so the idea. Wait, wait. Is this is a store that's this in this Grand Theft Auto. He's looking order? at
0: you like you're you're yeah. crazy. Like you not know what you're talking about. He's enjoying that burger, dude. He's tearing that thing up. So, is it is it that experience of being in the shop and seeing the stuff in real life? And 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 the nice people and the feeling like I'm hanging out in a cool coffee shop or pub or something is that what supersedes or wins or creates a competitive advantage to just buying every all that stuff on the internet? Uh,
2: I hope so. No, I mean I I think um, I I think there's some room uh, again. There's some opportunity for people that are doing it right and people that uh, businesses that are community driven and and. you know, that, that was part of my motivation for opening the shop uh, originally, you know, was, uh, because I'm a skateboarder, I, I thought, you know, Charlotte has never really had a, a skateboard shop that was run or, you know, owned by, owned and operated by a skateboarder and who had that perspective. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we want to be community focused. We want to do events. We want to, uh, you know, be a cool place for people to come and shop and, you know, independent specialty retail. Uh, In short, but yeah, I mean, uh, the the retail landscape has changed quite a bit, uh, especially in the last, you know, two years even. But we, you know, we sell a lot online, you know, so that that uh, helps offset anything that we might lose, you know. And we we sell increasingly, you know, online to people that you know live very close by, people that live across the street, people that live in Charlotte, you know. Yeah, so. you know online it's just the uh it's just the evolution uh you know especially our our customer base tends to you know skew a little bit younger obviously so you know especially in that age demographic you know those guys are on their phone uh not even you know just online it's it's mobile you know they're on their device um and that's you know where they're going to do in 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 fact you know i I was speaking to my van's uh sales manager uh not very recently uh and you know i was he was asking me about the percentage of business we do online and I'm not sure that it's even, uh, even the, you know that that even really tells you much that there's even really a distinction there because you know uh, you know my my customer does not really distinguish between shopping online and shopping in store at this point you know it's it's we're living in such a world that you know I could have somebody standing in the store and they're they're purchasing something on their their phone from my store or from somewhere else they could go in the store they could see it they could go home and buy it online um, you know it, it, that distinction is getting a lot muddier.
1: I would say, well, and one thing, especially with that, that's a distinctive thing that, like, places like skate shops can do that a lot of retail outlets can't do is, like, you can have your actual stuff. That's like, Black Sheep is the name of your shop and Black Sheep is the shop you're in. You can buy Black Sheep stuff there. You can get Black Sheep shirts there. And, like, that's some of the coolest stuff at the skate shop. Like, the culture of skate shops and stuff is that, like, probably cooler than some of the national brands or whatever is the stuff that's like, belongs to that shop or whatever. And that is sort of that because when you get into that conversation about, like, <laughs> well i go look at this tv and best buy or whatever then i pull out my phone and buy it on amazon or whatever it's like that's sort of the answer you know it's like places that like part of the value has has to be it, it commands of the and it's great that a skate shop already has that built in but if it commands of the store that you have a reason to go there other than it's walmart other than i go here to buy these goods you know or best buy or whatever
0: well, i want to come back to this um not not discriminating between online and offline because I've been talking about that for a long time but before I do that I want to point out if I can point that microphone at, at Drake so everybody can hear his shirt so Drake Drake has on a black sheep shirt and we went into black sheep and we bought a skateboard Drake bought a skateboard and it's got Charlotte on the bottom and a black sheep stamp he chose that over national brands California this whatever why, why do you like the local thing it's just cooler
1: I don't
0: know. Hey, that's good enough, man. That's yeah. It. I love it. That's the answer. That's the answer. I mean, do you want to say anything else is that enough that says it all? No, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So so I think that that authenticity is not lost on the youngest of, of customers. In fact, our, our,
2: our private label stuff, our shop brand stuff is, is our number one seller overall. If you, if you look at the numbers, even more so than... You know, our, my other big brands. Footwear is very big for us. You know, so you have Nike, Adidas, Vans, and uh, you know. Fortunately, we've we, we've you know you try to build a, a strong brand, a strong identity, and uh, you know we've been fortunate in that regard. And um, what am I trying to say? Yeah, it's tough, man. Yeah, yeah, no, you know you try to tell a compelling story. I think it's a lot of it is storytelling. A lot of it is uh, authenticity. You know. All, all these all these good buzzwords
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you could go even younger in your um your your sizes it just means spouting but but in sizes and wear and stuff if you carry kids stuff because I'm telling you Drake's a cool kid and the he fact that good. Thank you, yeah. And the fact that he's wearing a black sheep shirt and couldn't be more proud of it and was it starts today with all these amazing kids at Winthrop who are doing who are in there studying music and movie scoring. I hadn't even told you guys that Drake's been doing movie scoring. Yeah, it's insane, dude. He's with all these kids at Winthrop and he's sporting his black sheep teacher and he's the coolest guy on campus because yeah, yeah. of it, you know? That
2: means a lot. I appreciate that very much cuz the answer sorry after after
1: interject here. The answer to the question, why did you buy that case of Lacroix on Amazon? It's not just
0: cuz it was cool. <laughs> it, it's not the answer. So, I'm I'm not touching that <laughs> <it> one. <laughs> so, let me go back to this thing about not discriminating about online and offline. So for a long time I've been kind of making that point cuz I often present You're to Oh, right. um, <laughs> yes. That's my point. I'm trying to say that I was right, bigly. Um. I think think it's fairly obvious now. I mean, I I, I think, you know, yeah,
2: six months from now, people will be like, oh, yeah, that's completely obvious. But I think we're just on the cusp of that. Like, people, that realization sinking in for people that it's like, my customer, you know, uh, anybody under the age of 40 does not make a distinction whether they're buying something in real life or on their phone or
0: online. Yeah, they are just buying something. Yeah. I used to say that, and I, the constant example I used was real estate when I was taught, when I do like speaking gigs and stuff. And I would say, okay, somebody might say, um, like we're looking to buy a house, right? And they might say, yeah, I looked at a couple houses today and I talked to one guy, but like, I think we're gonna go and, and, and I took a little tour to this, that and the other. You don't know from that. Looked at houses might've been on his, his desktop. You talked to a guy, could have been texting. Uh, took a tour, could have been on his phone while he was parked in a neighborhood near where the house was. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's all one thing, you know. So I think that's really smart for you to realize, you know. Thank you. I think it's very smart for you to realize, too. Well, hey. <laughs> well I think we're the smartest people in the world.
2: Quite possibly. <laughs> I mean, the more beer I drink, the smarter I feel. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I mean, I think, you know, uh, would you ju- uh, you know, we're just doing the best we can to uh, adapt and, and stay relevant. And um, yeah, it's uh, we've we've come a long way. I'm very proud of uh, the things we've accomplished. Uh, we've got a lot of you know brand recognition. We're very respected uh, in our industry. Um, but yeah, it's getting tougher. Like you got it, you can't uh, rest on your laurels, so to speak. You got to uh, constantly try to figure out what's next and try to adapt and try to. Again, stay relevant and uh, cre- keep creating.
1: That's part of what I was saying, like that's that's the thing. I mean, if anything, it challenges the like local place to and I mean we can now uh, we just got done saying how it's like it's awful to like push out the little guy and that's totally true. But at the same time, like if it pushes a place to like they sort of maybe have to think about like, well why would you come here? Like that's not necessarily a bad thing if you have to figure that out because the answer to that question is probably really good for your business. Right. Like and like I said, in the in the in a skate shop, it's inherent to having a skate shop. But like that that the idea that the the shop itself is part of what you go there for, and it's cool to get that shirt or whatever. It's really exciting. That's a lot of fun, you know.
0: Can you still ollie over a giant trash can? <laughs> yeah. I do
1: not think I can, unfortunately. A giant, a giant the, the world's largest trash can.
2: <laughs> but I do have a. I've got a. Uh, I've I've matured to. You know, I've got a family now and. Uh, I'm down to, I have a mini ramp in the backyard that I, oh, you know, awesome. poke around on a little bit. Yeah, so I still skate uh, as often as possible, but, um, yeah, the, the, the street skating days of awing over cars and trash cans and tall buildings in a single bound, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, yeah, uh, you know, that's it's kind of a young man's game, jumping on handrails and stairs and things like that. So I'm more like... Park and street, mel- mel- low impact stuff. But yeah. it's funny.
1: We were uh, a few weeks ago. We were we were doing interviews for uh, orthopedists, and they were like talking about the ages of athletes or whatever. And they were like talking like you know younger athletes and blah blah blah. blah it's just people I And they started my like, aging athletes, and they were like you know. And it's like people over thirty, they they think they can do this, and then it turns out you just can't do that. And it's like whoa, over thirty. Yeah. Wow. Honestly, I
2: did pretty well <laughs> up until I turned you know four, I'm 44 now, but I you know and I, I just. Uh, Until I turned forty, you know, up until about forty, and uh, my my two children, I I was doing pretty well. I could still get around pretty well, but I've had to uh, I've had to recalibrate over the past few years. Children have that impact on you, yeah. Yeah. I I blame it on the family. I'm starting to get gray hair, you know. Uh, So yeah, it's it's been a challenge.
0: So let me ask you this, man: Um, Would it be is it is it a good idea, bad idea, cool, uncool, a thought, whatever? If you If there was, like, a skate park that had in it a store that was, like, a a second location or something, or, like, an outpost store, because I'm thinking, kids get dropped off at these places, man, and they hang out there all day long. You know, they could be looking at shoes and decks and whatever, you know?
2: Um, That's a great question, and uh, a lot of people have have, uh, experimented with that model. I've never really seen that model be that successful. I think... Paying to skate is a, it's just a tough model. Um, we There's one indoor skate park here in town, Saturday Warehouse, and, and they do pretty well. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just a tough model. I mean, most guys just want to be sort of, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a creative, expressive thing. They don't want to pay. They don't want to wear pads. Uh, they don't want to be confined to a certain area, you know. So that's historically been more popular.
0: So it's antithetical to the culture kind of. I think, yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it. Okay. But if, what if it was free to skate, but there was a store there? Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is, you know, it's, it's
2: additional expense. You know, you're creating some liability. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've seen that model before. It's just, it's, it, in, in general, just the skate shop retail model in general is, is a tough one. And, the, you know, the skate park model is a tough one. So, you know, to combine those, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I'm not sure that's the best. <laughs> Best synergy well,
1: what, there. What what
2: okay, so it's free to skate,
1: but all the ramps are hastily made and very <laughs> yeah, dangerous. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You <laughs> have to sign this waiver form before you can go to this. How does store. exist? Actually, it's like Skatopia, yeah. that place oh, it's yeah, like that yeah. completely does exist. Yeah, I don't know what that yeah, I don't even know how to describe that for your listeners. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um Are you familiar with that? I'm not. It's, it's pretty like pretty much
1: what I just described. <laughs> yeah.
2: This guy uh What's his name? Oh, I forget his Jim name. His name's Jim, kind of escaping. But anyway, he owns like he owns this acres and acres and acres in Ohio, and it's just this like wild. Like he's created this whole like skate park environment, and they have you know have bands play and people come out, and you know they they wreck cars and they blow stuff up and burn things, and it's like I would like I would be personally afraid to even go there. Like it's like yeah, this it's like post apocalyptic. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a great way to put it. You probably you probably played some shows at places like yeah. that. Oh, wow.
0: That was like, uh, what's that old Mel Gibson movie? Mad Max. Yeah, Mad Max, yeah. yeah. I'm like, uh, yeah. Skateboards. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> so tell the story, Josh, about um, when you partnered with a shoe company and made that wolf in sheep's clothing thing. Tell that story, please.
2: Okay, yeah, I mean, that was our, uh, our most recent collaboration with Nike, Nike SB, which is their skateboard division. Um, so we had the opportunity to work with Nike. That was actually our, the second project we did with them. But, uh, I've it, heard of them. Yeah, it just came out uh, last January, uh, and the concept behind the shoe was a wolf in sheep's clothing, you know, to sort of tied with our brand, black sheep. And the shoe, the look of the shoe is it's a high-top Nike Dunk, and uh, which is an old basketball model. It's you know been repurposed for skateboarding. Uh, it's got like a white furry sort of suede uh, exterior that you know represents uh, sheep's wool. Um, the swoosh on the side is white but it wears away either with wear or when you're skateboarding to reveal fangs or uh, like a graphic oh of wolf my teeth God. <laughs> Dude, Dude, that's I mean, Ian, amazing <laughs> sole has artwork of like a growling wolf um, so it was a concept that I came up with and uh, and a design that oh, I came up with and then in addition to that when, when we released the shoe we as a shop sort of independent from Nike created some uh, Accessories and special packaging. We created these uh, uh, extra laces that were like a blood spider lace and some lace locks that look like silver fangs. Yeah. So for me, honestly, like this whole the whole skate shop thing and 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 all the all the projects we do, all the all the all the product that we put out, you know, it's it's kind of a creative outlet for uh, you know us. So we try to have fun with it. And uh, you know, for me, it's a dream come true to to work with a company like Nike. You know, I never in my wildest dreams would imagine that I would ever have that opportunity, but um, okay, so, so I'm sorry to interrupt you. Is that where you guys have an old pair of Patrick Ewing uh, high tops up
1: there yeah yeah that, so I saw those I was like in awe. I'm sorry I'm a sneaker nerd and cool. I saw that and I was like whoa that's amazing
2: yeah so for me I mean uh, sneakers uh, I guess to explain the concept of the shop you know we do a lot of sneaker business we do a lot of uh, you know apparel fashion business you know for me um, music art fashion sneakers uh, skateboarding like there's a common thread there it's all sort of creative and um, you know, I, I enjoy all those things, and, and you know, my, my lens for fashion and, and music and uh, sneakers, you know, uh, shoes are very important to skateboarding. My lens for all of that has always been skateboarding, so um, it's, it's been very cool for me to have those opportunities, and uh, we, we released that shoe on, uh, we had a week lead time on it, an exclusive lead time to release it at Black Sheep, and it was on January 6th. when we had the big snowstorm in Charlotte we had over 200 people come out and line up in the snow which blew me away to purchase the shoes that day and then we had on at noon that day they were lining up like sleeping in the snow overnight to get the shoes Uh, at 12 noon we put it online and then our website crashed because we had over over 15,000 people went to our website to buy the shoes uh, and we sold Needless to say, we sold out of the shoes immediately online uh, once the the site came up, Um, and then a week later Nike uh, released the shoe on their sneakers app and online, and it sold out immediately within like five minutes, which is pretty unheard of for Nike, so it was incredibly successful, it was was insane, it it still blows my mind to think about. we're very fortunate, uh, all the stars sort of aligned and it was an incredibly successful project for us. So, hope, hope to have the opportunity to do something else again.
0: I mean That is incredible, it really is an incredible story. So, Drake just tapped me on the shoulder and showed me that Black Sheep Skate Shop on, what is this, Instagram? On Instagram has 52,000 followers. Dude, that's awesome.
2: Yeah, we have 52,000 followers. And the shoot, the shoot was released globally, so people are tagging us, you know, like in Hong Kong, uh, they're tagging us, you know, all over the world in Europe, in Asia, uh, you know, wearing the shoe that I designed, you know. Um, so yeah, it's it's been pretty incredible. I mean, that's you know the exposure that we've gotten from that. Uh, we've got a huge social media following. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a very
0: very cool project. How do you recreate that without dumbing it down, or you know, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. you got any ideas? Yeah. <laughs> Like, for instance, I have less
1: followers on Instagram. (laughs) What would be your advice toward a user like myself? I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) How much would you sell your Instagram for? (laughs) Like, all of a sudden, they're posting weird images. (laughs) That's
2: really the challenge, and that's what I'm struggling with right now, is like, all right, I've got a few ideas, but it's like, you know, after hitting that home run, it's like, all right, yeah, whatever I come up with next, uh, you know,
0: I've got sort of big, big shoes to fill on that, yeah. That is super cool, man. I mean, so how do you how do you work with Nike? I mean, what does that look like? Do you have a creative designer person you're working with? Or? Uh, fortunately, I've got a
2: uh, lifelong friend, a, a childhood friend that I grew up skateboarding with. His name is Richie McCorkle. Uh, he, he actually went to Winthrop University, uh, studied graphic design, um, works for me full-time now, great guy. And he you know, I, I sort of come up with the concepts and the ideas, and he helps me, you know, bring them to life. So I worked very closely with him to put the whole uh, concept together, and we pitched it to Nike. Um, and yeah, fortunately, they, they loved the concept. They were very receptive to it. It sat on the shelf for a couple of years just because of logistics, which just kind of blows my mind as well. I'm like, this thing's been... There was a sample, you know, three years ago, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so it's like... But, yeah, the, you know, I think it all probably works out. You know, the timing was right, obviously, when it came out. You go,
0: do you go stand in front of a giant swoosh and say, here's my idea? Like, how do you—people at Nike? Yeah, you know, I have a sales rep. I mean, we, we sell a lot of Nike, uh,
2: uh, so fortunately I have a good relationship with those guys. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it just kind of trickled up with, uh, you know, from my sales rep to the sales manager to, you know, the creative over there. And, um, yeah, I mean, just fortunately they, uh, I mean, you know, again, sort of all the stars align. You know, part part of that, you know, for, part of the, the, the lure for, for Nike is, you know, they get some street cred from partnering with a shop like ours. You know, we're one of probably 25 or 30 independent skate shops around the country that, um, you know, they have a partnership with, you know, and so to, it, it benefits from them because it gives them a little bit of, you know, street cred, so to speak. And it benefits us because obviously there's a lot of exposure there, so.
0: So, I, yeah, that's great, man. So, I mean, Nike,
2: Nike, I mean, it blew me away because we created images, uh, uh, you know, Richie uh, shot photos of the product and, and created images, and, and, you know, Nike used our images. Like, Nike didn't even use a lot of their own product stuff. Like, they were tweeting out our images and our concepts. And so, yeah, it was really cool. It was like, holy cow, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, like, Nike uh, is a, honestly, I mean, they're a smart company. And one of, they were early on to, like, recognize, like, the, the Nike Dunk. I like, mean, it's one of the coolest sneaker designs ever. And they were, like, pretty early on realizing, like, that bring back the retro designs and stuff. And, like, it was well, you know, it's like
0: funny, that. man, how, you know, Pabst Blue Rib and the beer. Chris, you've probably never had one of those.
1: No, I've never heard of that. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: well, you know, I was told recently
2: that this neighborhood has a bar that's like it's the like the third or fourth like largest PAPS volume in the country. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very wow. it's a very
0: hip. Yeah. Right into what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> so when PAPS came out in the '70s, it was supposed to be this like upscale beer for like upwardly mobile like you know American men that are gonna take over the country. You know, like it and. It, you mean it is still not position. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not still that. So, back yeah, up a little
1: bit from where it was. Well, but 90s. so
0: here's the thing. So it was like, so it was that, and then it kind of had its run, and then it kind of disappeared, and then it was defined as this kind of like awful crappy beer. And because it was awful crappy, this the countercultures adopted it embraced it and bragged about it and the most genius thing they did was instead of like saying, like going out and running out first thing and going they love us, they love us and applying old methods of advertising they just let it happen dude and started funneling like supporting places that sold pats and, and then creating offbeat stuff and weird stuff and not being like
2: They do PBR skateboards, they do events, they do yeah. they, Concert. Actually, we had an event recently at the shop, and they dropped off cases of PBR. You know, so
0: smart, yeah. so smart. Yeah. It's just about being cognizant of what's going on, you know, and embracing like sure. where you kind of are being adopted. You know, so I, I think about, you know, your skate shop, man. I mean, I think that it's awesome that you can create this kind of like high profile thing uh, with this Nike collaboration, and be part of the the community here in town where everybody knows josh everybody knows the store more people move in and kind of embrace the community you know i wonder if you could capitalize on um you know you talk about more free beer but you talk about you know street cred and one of 30 stores in the country that's pretty incredible i mean i would imagine the more this area develops and the more this area associates you as being kind of the poster child that your store being as the poster child of the the hipness that this area has the more street cred you would be able to bring to corporate entities that really don't have a mechanism for street cred without people like you you know
2: i think you're right yeah i think i'll, I'll send them this podcast maybe yeah. they could. <laughs> um yeah yeah i mean we're just trying to do the best we can like honestly like retail right now is very tough i mean you, you uh if you listen to the news or you know on npr or the you know the radio the internet wherever you get your news from your phone uh you know retail closings every day and just you know continual bad news you know so you know there's a lot of challenges there again we just have to adapt and, and try to do the best we can you know but um yeah I, I think that's the key to it you know we we have to stay true to our roots and true to our voice and try to be authentic and um you know, my hope is that there's, you know, especially in like larger urban areas, you know, that there's room for that one independent record shop, you know, that one independent coffee shop, that one independent skateboard shop, you know. Um, you know, in markets smaller than Charlotte, uh, you know, like a Rock Hill, you know, I, I, I would think there probably is some opportunity there, more more of an opportunity there for, for you know, kind of niche, uh, you know, independent, you know, Stores and restaurants. So, you're committing to moving to Rock Hill right now? I mean, I. No, I'm not, but. Uh, hey, man, Circuit City didn't move to Rock Hill. Yeah. Look what happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering. They, they went bankrupt, yeah.
0: Exactly, they didn't move to Rock Hill.
2: Yeah, so there you go. Uh, sport <laughs> was never in Rock Hill. Boom. To me, Rock Hill strikes me as a market that is uh, large enough to support independent, but not so large that. Yeah, that to run it out, you know, that, uh, that you have these large, maybe that you would attract large chains, you know, or very many large chains to where it's prohibitive to that, you know, uh, independent environment. But I, I'm not sure. Maybe you can give me some insight
0: there. Hey, man. Location number two is downtown Rock Hill. Yeah, I,
2: think Rock Hill is- I think Rock Hill, there's probably some opportunity there in Rock Hill and markets like Rock Hill. You hear a lot about Greenville, South Carolina. You're probably
0: familiar with that, the revitalization that's gone on there. You guys probably study that. I don't know. Oh, Big time, man. And see, like, we always study um, Greenville was a very intentional top-down type of revitalization, and Asheville was a very, like, messy, ground-up revitalization. And we always talk about, like, we need to learn from both models, uh, not be naive, and we try to do the best we can, you know. But, you know.
2: Smartest thing you can do.
0: I heard they tried to open a
1: Circuit City in Greenville right before Circuit City died just
0: kidding next, so. next that they, I'm glad they didn't come to Rock Hill all your listeners are like what the hell is Circuit City I've never yeah. heard of that yeah. I gotta tell y'all this I gotta tell y'all this so my house I shouldn't say this if people know where I live there's a sticker on one of the windows of my house that's been there for like I don't know how long but it's a sticker that says this house is protected by Radio Shack that's <laughs> so awful so I'm sure people are like oh yeah. I could just walk in there man that's like man. Thief bait. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This oh, house is protected by Sky City. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, man, let's go back to. <laughs> One thing I want to
2: talk, I want to interject here, completely uh, off topic. Um, I was li- listening to a couple of your podcasts, and you guys were uh, reminiscing about Town Center Mall. Uh, yeah. I was wondering yeah, yeah. if I could share some <laughs> anecdotes about <laughs> Town Center off. Mall. <laughs>
0: we should change the name of the podcast to Town Center Mall. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Town Center Mall. <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: I remember when I was a kid, this is a, before they blew, the, I've, I haven't been back since they blew the roof off, uh, unfortunately, but this is before they blew the roof off and I would go there to uh, OK Pawn Shop. Are you familiar with that? Oh, of course, yeah. And that's where I would buy uh, like my mace and my ninja stars and my nunchucks. That was the place to get those golden items. When you were, you know, when you were nine or 10 and you wanted to buy some, you know, some self-defense gear, you know, OK Pawn yeah. Shop. was Ninja where you, Turtles was huge. Was where you get your butterfly knives. <laughs> <laughs> and your stun guns, you know. Yeah. yeah so,
0: um,
2: <laughs> is Ok Pawn Shop still there or no? Oh, oh no. no, they got rid of those guys. They ran them out like Circuit City. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. They
2: closed all one of their stores.
1: Yeah. yeah it wasn't okay, man. It's not okay. <laughs> I
2: have I have fond memories of, uh, yeah, purchasing all kinds of illegal items at uh, OK Pawn shop.
0: That, I mean, man, dynamite. tell me if I'm dynamite. wrong. Exactly. I man. mean, yeah, right, dynamite. So you're about my age, Josh. Like, is this the experience you had? Like, I didn't even really understand that that was a downtown turned into a mall. I thought it was just the weirdest mall ever on the planet.
2: No, yeah, exactly, precisely. I mean, I I had no clue that it was... I mean, I still have a hard time uh, understanding what, what went on there. I just thought it was some weird dark mall, yeah, with yeah. a lot of closed stores. Yeah, it
0: was exactly. Dark. You know why it was so dark? The concept of the mall, I learned this recently. Yeah, right. Well, Everybody at the mall worshiped Satan. <laughs> no, I learned this recently. The design of the mall was that the storefronts were going to light the place. Uh, and so you would you would walk through it, and each of the storefronts would be so bright it would light the place. Well, there weren't any stores in there, and so there were no lights overhead. And so the doll, it was so dark. Probably
2: the lowest point of the mall, probably our our childhood. It was right before they decided to undo whatever they did. But yeah, I guess I seemed to be a bad idea. Whatever, whatever
0: happened there. We actually had the dude on our podcast named Joe Lanford. He's he's an amazing man, the guy who put on the roof, and we had to give him a little bit of help. But he is an amazing person. He's a visionary person. He's a bold thinker, and it was a it was a bold idea. Yeah, sounds
2: bold. Why on earth did they decide yeah. to uh, to undertake that
0: bold uh, maneuver? Basically, if you think about it, after white flight and every all the like uh, white people with money moved out to the suburban areas, and you had the decaying inner cities, and you had segregated communities, black-white segregation and poverty in the inner cities and then mall, interstates came through in the 60s and the malls came through in the 70s and 80s and the malls were like the economic savers of these towns. It built these malls and so they thought well we'll turn our downtown into a mall and it'll save the downtown. Now the irony is it actually saved a lot of beautiful buildings because they were covered for 15 years yeah and we were able to we thank for the your
2: ability to purchase cheap <laughs> real estate <and> yeah. Rock
0: <laughs> yeah right i mean it was a crazy idea and it didn't work out but you know i mean i just uh, no uh, thank you for explaining
2: that uh yeah i mean uh in that light yeah, that makes a lot of sense you know i think the whole theory
1: is like every, anybody can like raise the roof but like I'm, we're gonna put the roof on it when the roof isn't there. Who's gonna, yeah. yeah. That, how do you, you yell you? that at a party? Like put it. the roof on put it! On it. Yeah, everybody <laughs> put the roof on it.
0: I mean, I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so Josh, the store. Let's talk about the store, the website. Let's make sure that we give you appropriate credit and uh, marketing collab out of this, uh, out of this. So, give us your dot com and your location and all that
2: uh we're located at 830 lamar avenue in the plaza midwood neighborhood of charlotte north carolina 28210 and uh our uh, website is blacksheepskateshop.com and we have nearly all of our inventory online so uh, except for
1: those shoes those nike shoes you probably only get those <laughs> super expensive on ebay yeah
2: yeah no we have we actually have those on there we we got a we got a restock on the sly um and uh, yeah, our Instagram you mentioned earlier is uh, Black Sheep Skate Shop as well. So yeah, check us out. Man, that's
0: awesome. I think that's great. Um, is there anything else we should cover in terms of uh, what this to undo the damage I've done in celebrating the uh, Bohemian relocation process as a, uh, va- a rhapsody, if, if you will, as a as a uh, as a appropriate uh, mechanism to revitalize a city. Um. No,
2: you've done way too much damage. No,
0: uh, I mean, I guess I'm. I'm interested more in terms of your your story
2: and your vision for uh, Rock Hill and downtown and kind of what's going on there. But I, I don't know that may be more appropriate offline.
0: I'm not sure if that's something you want to get into right now. Okay. Well, we don't like to. Talk, we don't like our listeners to hear any of the important stuff that we talk about. So we're going to have a classified session after this. He's not willing to talk about that in open session. Let, Hannah. Will you say something to the microphone?
1: Something to the microphone, please.
0: Well said. Well said. Wow.
1: Other, other fat Other fat
0: boy? Yeah. So, I think that it would be appropriate if um, kind of the state of retail in America, you want to say something, please? No,
2: I mean, I'm not sure where you're headed, but yeah, I was just curious, like, uh, you know, we all kind of fled from Rock Hill. You, we started off with this. We all kind of fled from Rock Hill because when we were younger, you know, I mean, that's kind of pretty typical of most, most teenagers, I guess, You're just, you know, you want to get the hell out of wherever you live and you feel like, you know, things are more interesting elsewhere, but you know, you ended up back there and, you know, I guess, you know, curious about that decision and that journey. And...
0: So let, me, let me respond to that. So I think that there, there's a, what you kind of alluded to, there's a juvenile experience that... that that the place you grow up in is lesser than other places. So that's, that's common, I think. That's kind of universal. But also, Rock Hill was lame.
2: But <laughs> also, it, yeah. yeah,
0: but also, Rock Hill had a severe inferiority complex. And it was taught to us, it was taught to me from the youngest of age, that you are one of the best and the brightest and therefore you will leave this place when you are able. And I've had that as an understanding of who I was since I was the youngest of ages, you know, and it was, and that's a that's a sickness that is not good for a community. And that has changed, man. That has changed. The baby people, baby boom age and older still have that in Rock Hill. People younger than that do not think that way about Rock Hill. I had to finally say to the RHDC crowd, the Rock Hill Economic Development Corporation crowd, that I, I mean, they're all dear friends of mine and I work with them closely. But they're all, you know, 50 and old or whatever. I just say, guys, stop saying Rock Hill's not cool. It wasn't cool for you, but these new Winthrop kids that are coming in, they think it's cool as crazy, man. So don't tell them it's not cool. They don't know. You know?
2: I think you're right. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. For me, I felt, you know, I'm, 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 you know, virtually in Rock Hill, right? We're 15 minutes away or whatever. You know what I mean? So I'm in Charlotte. You know, but for me, I mean, uh, I see some parallels there because, you know, for me it was like, you know, Anybody can move to New York. Anybody can move to L.A. Like, for me, it was important to do something. You know, I feel like Charlotte is an extension of Rock Hill. It was virtually home, you know. And for me, it was important to, like, do something cool here, right? You know, whether it's a, a, a store or a band or whatever you're doing, you know. So, you know, yeah, like, you could, you could go, like, everybody moves to New York and tries to do something cool, right? But it's like you can, you can take those lessons and it applies to Rock Hill or anywhere else. You can take those cool things that you like about Asheville or Atlanta or Charlotte or what have you and bring them back to Rock Hill and there's opportunities there, you know?
1: Absolutely. That's interesting. It's funny because that is directly tied to my personal perspective on what that subject, like, and, and this was inherent to me just growing up, the idea of, like, I actually never had it in me that, like, oh, well, I'm, I'm cooler than this place, so I'll go move to a cool place. I always just thought, like, ignorantly, like, as a kid, <clears throat> people in those cool places all of those people are making super cool stuff like all everyone in new york city is so incredibly talented and they are honestly just as a kid i didn't know and i thought like everyone in la is just all these people are still all the most talented super smart people go there and so it, it just added up to me that like so i have to make really great amazing stuff and like that's what matters you know like that that you just you you make yourself better and like you push yourself to make great things and I actually just for some reason it that's always how it looks to me like and the the idea that most people always got of like well I moved to this cool place I don't know how it happened but to me it was always like oh cool people do cool things and they make cool things you know and I, and I think that's sort of what you're saying it's like it's like no matter where you are it's like if you want if you want this the world in front of you to be better and exciting. That's up to you. That's not up to a government in
0: some city. Like you make things cool. Well, that's the one of the beautiful things about you, Chris. That and your shirt. Yes. Is that you? That, that just comes naturally to you. I, I think, Josh, if we go back to when you and I first met, got to know each other, in Jay Lamont's backyard, where we were, where Tonka, our punk band, was play practicing in Jay's living room, and you were out back, ollie and trash cans and right. cars and giant skyscrapers right. that were somehow in Jay's backyard. Um, you, you think about that DIY spirit that we had yeah. where we felt like we were creating something cool. That was what punk rock was all about, man. And, and w- when I went to Asheville, I loved Asheville. I absolutely love Asheville. And um, you know, when Drake was born, we decided to move back, You know, be with our family and all that stuff. And, and we did it reluctantly a little bit because we loved Asheville. But... Even in Asheville, and Asheville's not even New York City, even in Asheville, I felt a little bit like I was on the periphery of something that was already cool, and I was hoping to kind of maybe crack into it a little bit, whereas in Rock Hill, we felt like we were creating the coolest of cool, and it was so invigorating, and so, like, it gave such life to what we were doing, and being on the ground floor of creating something exceptional, when I came back, I embraced that notion, and it's changed my life, man. That perspective changed my life
2: nailed it i think i think you know just i mean for me i I usually describe it as in terms of opportunity and it's like all right i can go to new york and be like just one of you know in a sea of people in a crowd that's all trying to do whatever but yeah to be in a smaller market like you've got the opportunity to create your destiny and do whatever you want and bring something cool to that community you know and uh yeah i think it is that diy ethos and that like yeah just being able to you know do whatever you want to do you know
0: Amen, brother. Well, I will say this. Chris, your shirt's been a little distracting. It's so handsome. So, it, well, it's nice. It's, it's nice. It's so nice it's distracting. It's, it's dial, the dial, you got to dial back the niceness. <laughs> um, Josh, absolutely in, inspiring to talk to you, brother, man. So I really appreciate you being yeah, on the uh, podcast. Thank you guys for
2: the opportunity. I've enjoyed it quite a bit, you know. Yeah.
0: Micah, if you would close us in some type of um, hip vegetarian prayer yeah yeah i was gonna say definitely keep it you know religious keep it non-religious make it a little more like you know make, if you can make it like a crate that you would get like a wooden crate something kind of rustic all right go well played well played drake if you want to say bye to your audience bye all right fans around the world fans around the world all right to our one listener we uh, bid you adieu and uh, I guess we'll see you next week on Old Town, New World. I still, every time you, you make a joke. the best episode ever what?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely.